joins us for his weekly visit presented by Audi Flatirons after a very refreshing night's sleep. Hello, Joel. That's right. That's right. Well, and some days you got to upgrade to the 500K bed yeah. just because. <laughs> Just, just because. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, jump right in. Let's jump right in there. Uh, join the debate. Where do you come down on the Kareem Jackson hit, ejection, and subsequent suspension? You got plenty of people who say it was wrong. That's just football. That was a good, clean hit, and he's being made to be a scapegoat by the NFL. What do you think? Well, I think that a lot of things can be true at once. Um, first of all, I, I do. And you, you guys both know me well enough to know, like I despise the current rules in the sport. Okay. Having said that they are the current rules in the sport. And so to say that it's just football is false because whatever the rules are, are football. So there is an element of this where he's got to adjust. And you can't just say, hey, this is the way that I've always played. You're not going to be grandfathered in. This is not the, you know, the old Dave Winfield helmet, John Olerud helmet with no ear flaps. Okay? So you're not going to be grandfathered into the style of, of play that you have to, uh, to, to utilize in order to be successful or to stay in the game nowadays. Do I think that that was a dirty hit? No, I don't. Now, after you've created a bullseye on your own chest through a non-adjustment to the current rules, then, yes, you will be targeted by the NFL. You, you will be made uh, an example out of. And, and I do believe that that's what's going to happen. When I saw the, the original four game, I was like, whoa, that, that is wild. I even think the two game is, is, is wild, to be quite honest with you. But... Once you are an example, the NFL will use you. They don't care. They're going to chew these everybody up and spit them out. And quite frankly, they don't even really care. And, and I know that this sounds bad, but like about the, necessarily the safety as much as they are the optics of the safety. And, and the, the optics of the safety are such that when there's a player that's going to continually be in these situations, they're going to make an example out of you. And I think that that's what's happened. So all of those things can can be true at once. I think that we can all despise the rules. We can despise the fact that he's been targeted um, and and made an example out of by the NFL. And also, you know, there's an element of when the pitch three inches off the plate is being called a strike, sometimes you have to adjust. Is it technically a ball? Yeah. But guess what? It's a strike tonight. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a great point. You've seen the rules adjust. You've seen the targeting rule in college football. And, you know, I hate it to a degree and, and I understand, but, but I understand it. I mean, I understand the optics of it. I understand that you can't go to some guys, you know, neck or, or head area uh, on a hit. Even if you, even if your initial entry point is lower and you slip up, that's just the way it is. And so, I, I mean, how much have you seen in college football, the, the tackles go lower? How much have you seen guys yeah. adjust their game? I, I've seen it a, a huge amount, uh, actually. I think that the nature of the game is starting to change. The strike zone is <clears throat> is lowering. I, I see a lot of times when guys could take just giant shots at, in particular, wide receivers and don't. Um, I see guys pull up on, on quarterbacks and, and don't take the shots that they m- may have you know, certainly when I was playing or, or five years ago or even six years ago. 
So I think that it's it's certainly adjusting. There's there's no doubt in in my mind that it is. I do fear though that that we have created. Uh, well, let's just talk about like the unintended consequences of this. And Mike, I used to talk about this with you as well. You know, we encourage quarterbacks to put their receivers in precarious spots. Now you're incentivized. I had a coach that will remain nameless tell me to quote unquote throw it anyways in terms of a, a and it was it was a big four route over the cross basically across the middle and the coverage to me suggested that that was going to be a, a a poor decision and he said throw it anyways because the majority of the outcomes are going to be good for the offense he's like pi good for the offense the incompletion good for the offense uh, unsportsmanlike conduct or personal foul unnecessary roughness good for the offense. So it's like the coaches and quarterbacks have been de-incentivized to protect their own players. It used to be, see, like, and now I'm, I'm an old guy, but you used to have rules about which routes you could just never throw into specific coverages. You'd never throw a flat route into cover two. You'd, you, you know, you'd never bring a four route into a cover two safety. Um, the, the flat route, meaning the jam corner, would be sitting out there, and he was going to take the head off of, like, the flat control in the stick game 322 Y stick you got a flat control can't throw that against cover two he's going to be out there and he's going to occupy the flat but we're really trying to hit the stick back to the check down on the on the opposite <laughs> side so like these these types of rules always existed now they don't because there's more outcomes that are going to be successful for the offense now Joel's just showing off yeah, Joel Clapp presented by uh, Audi Flyers this is what makes the ladies in Fort Collins mm-hmm. swoon I say it all the time <laughs> as you were watching that game the other day come down to the final minutes and the game was up in the air, could go either way. Was there any part of you, the Bronco, lifelong Bronco fan in you, that was rooting for a loss? Oh, man. I just can never get to that point. I I, I, I really can't. Um, just my nature, you know, you, you go out there to succeed. I get, I get it. I, I really do. There's some really good quarterbacks out there. You know, the, the the draft is an interesting thing. And I do find it interesting that Sean Payton was one of the guys that basically broached this subject and, and saying that the NFL eventually will be a lottery because of the value of some of these players and what they're going to mean for your franchise if you're able to, quote-unquote, tank. Um, but I just I can't do it, man. Like, I, I want to see him win. And, and I don't know, maybe that's naive of me, maybe that's short-sighted of me, but I can't get to the point where I, I'm actively rooting against my beloved to, to lose a game. I will tell you that there was also a, a, a different thought in my mind, which was, man, this feels so different than when I grew up. Because for my entirety of my childhood, close games, it was like you lick your chops because we always had the quarterbacks that were going to go win the game. That was Elway's hallmark. You know, Dan Reeves would hand it off for three quarters, and then John would have to go out there and win it in the fourth quarter. And we loved it. And, man, to just have a team that doesn't have that guy, is that's a, that's a tough one. So that's that's what I was thinking, both of those things. I want them to win, and, boy, do I trust them to do so? No, nope, not like when I was growing up. Joel, does anything change? We talk about the quarterbacks that are available in May and obviously Caleb Williams and everybody's talking about, you know, how great that is. And then you, you drop a game in North Carolina's, uh, you know, in North Carolina's uh, uh, last week. And then, you know, Caleb Williams dropped a couple of games. It, it, 
Does anything change in your evaluation and the transition? I was talking to one coach in the NFL that said, man, you know, the key is not to draft the best college quarterback. The key is to draft the best quarterback that translates and does things that the NFL does. And obviously the the two kind of concepts, as you know more than anybody, have morphed to a degree but there's still an aspect yeah. of being able to control the tempo of the game from the pocket to be able to get under center, you know, and set up your run action, play action, and to do some of those things, which you just can't really do out of shotgun. So d- does your evaluation or that process change at all when a guy starts to, you know, maybe not have a couple of good games or, or their team starts to lose? Well, not necessarily. I think that there's there's all sorts of factors to you know having statistical or or you know wins and losses success. Now you'd love them to go out there and win every game that they played, but to your point, I think that that traits is is a big part of the evaluation. And I, and I went over this a couple of weeks ago with you guys. There's really five areas where I think that that a quarterback needs to be evaluated. And if I was an NFL decision maker, I would try to weight these five areas and, and try to figure out which one is the most important for me. And these five are all on the field. So these are not intangibles as far as leadership goes or personality or, or teammate. So these five would be first and foremost, you know, when you're on the field, do you control the game with your mind? Can you get your team into the right play? Can you control the game with your mind? I think that 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 is an understated and yet very important part of this, and it's one of the parts that college quarterbacks tend to fall short on because so much is controlled from the sidelines in terms of audibles looking over to the sidelines and having them control it versus you on the field out in the game. Okay, so 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 that's number one. Number two is just the requisite arm talent that you've got to have. Can you make, quote-unquote, all the throws? Are you a good passer of the football as well? Do you understand leverage and ball placement? Can you change speeds? Can you layer the football? Can you throw with touch? Can you drive the ball into small areas? That's an important piece of this as well. Um, I, I think that being able to control the game from a passing perspective from the pocket is really imp- an important piece of this. So can you stand in the pocket and really control the game? Can you have a full field read and know where to go with the football? Then you've got the two pieces that are more abstract. And, and, and one is, can you create and, and when, when everything is wrong, can you create success for your offense? When everything is wrong, can you make them right? That's creating. And then there's the threat with your legs. Can you actually threaten the defense with your legs, you know, after the chains? But those are the areas that I, I look at and that I evaluate. And, and, and to this GM's point or the NFL decision maker's point, you've got to wait what your importance is on each of those factors. Now, there are some college offenses that wait being able to affect the defense with your legs as number one on the list of five. No NFL team would rate being a threat with your legs as number one out of five. So you've got to figure out what a quarterback does really well. How is he evaluated in every one of those five areas? And then for your program, for your organization, how do you rate those skills and what do you rate as primary among them? And, and I think that that's an important piece and every, everyone is going to be different. You know, this is what's ever so interesting to me is I always think back to that draft in Philadelphia when Patrick Mahomes was actually drafted. And trust me when I tell you this, the, the evaluations of Patrick Mahomes were all over the map. He didn't control the game from the pocket. There wasn't a lot of things that he did controlling the game, even with his mind. 
he was an amazing creator outside of the pocket and had this incredible arm talent. That's really what he was. But he was a gunslinger, and there was not a lot that you could put into a box and say, boy, this really translates to the NFL. And at the time, no quarterback out of the air raid offense had really had any success. And this was a pretty, I would say, dyed-in-the-wool air raid system that he was running at Texas Tech at the time. And it wasn't until I had a, a breakfast with John Gruden in Philadelphia randomly. I walked downstairs. We're all in the same hotel. He's like, hey, Clack, come on over here. And I'm like, okay. He's got his eyebrow up, and he's like, what do you think about Mahomes? And I'm like, uh, and I give him my whole spiel, and I'm like, oh, I'm, I thought I was ready, man. I had done his games. I, I thought to myself, well, he's a little erratic. He doesn't control the game, this and that, and he's just nodding at me. He's eating his eggs. And then he looks up and he's like, hey, you know, all of us that touched Favre, that's who we see. And it didn't dawn on me until that moment. And and that's really a light bulb that came on for me, not in my evaluation of just Patrick Mahomes, but also my, my, my realization that every organization is going to view and rate those five things differently. And, and Andy Reid, and he said, Andy's going to take him tonight. And he was like, and I like it. And I'm like, all right, here we go. And sure enough, that's what happened. Visiting uh, with uh, Joel Clapp, presented by Honey Flat Irons. I love that. I love the Gruden story. Uh, well, I mean, by, by the way, just uh, have you ever heard the Favre story about nickel? Joel? No, but I can't wait. Please tell oh, me. So Favre is like six, seven years in. Like Favre's like an MVP. And they're having a meeting, like a team meeting, you know, breakdown and – uh and he tied Detmers his backup, and so they're going through the nickel personnel and this, da, 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 you know, the whole nine yards, their game plan, and everything else. So they break up the meeting, they walk out, and and Favre goes to Detmer, he goes, "That was a nickel. What's a nickel?" He goes, "What?" He goes, "What does that even mean? What's a nickel?" And so of course, Detmer thinks he's messing with him. Sure. And, and he goes, "No, I'm serious. Like, what's a nickel?" And he goes. Well, nickel, they, they take out the will linebacker and they replace him with a DB. And Favre goes, it's just a it's just a different number? He goes, yeah, well, it's a, a safety or a corner that comes in and plays for the will linebacker. He goes, that's it? Who gives a bleep? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's just a body out there to me. I don't care that's if it's right. a 52 well, or if it's a 26. Doesn't matter. Yeah. He's like, I don't, I don't care. He's like, do you understand what's attached to my right shoulder? That's right. God turned this thing into a thunderbolt. I don't give a crap who that guy is. In fact, you know what I wish is I wish Mike Martz would have been in that conversation. If this would have been a three-man conversation with Mike Martz, Mike Martz would have given Brett Favre a high five and said, yeah, that's right. Because if that safety was any good, he'd be a wide receiver. Yeah. <laughs> Joel Clapp presented by Audi Flatirons. Well, all right, let's talk about Caleb Williams because as, as somebody who's certainly been on the uh, collapse for Caleb bandwagon, I will admit my faith in Caleb has taken a bit of a hit the last two weeks. And how about this? These are some Caleb Williams numbers against non-top 25 teams and against top 25 teams. Non-top 25 teams complete 70% of his passes. Top 25 teams, 51. Yards per game, 317 versus 172. And in games against non-top 25 teams, 78 touchdowns to seven picks against teams in the top 25, six touchdowns and six picks. 
is Caleb Williams overrated? Well, <clears throat> no. Not if you rate him based on those five categories that I mentioned before. In fact, he's, he's one of the only quarterbacks that I can remember evaluating that I would say is excellent in all five areas. Now, the, the, the struggles that you're seeing from Caleb are the result of a lot of factors. And some are him, certainly, and, and, and some are not. Number one is, I, I don't think that their offensive line is anywhere close to, to good enough. That's number one. Number two, their wide receiver core is not close to good enough. And the one area where I would come down on him is that he does have a lot of control on the field post-snap as far as is this a run or is this a pass. So you've heard about the RPO, run-pass option. Well, the RPO for, for USC is much more intricate than, than most teams because he's controlling it in both the post-snap zone movement key RPO where he's reading a second-level or third-level defender, but he's also controlling it on a pre-snap advantage throw basis based on leverage. Okay, so there's different styles of concept to run here for him. A big knock on what I think USC has not done over the course of the last couple of games in their losses is run the football with Marshawn Lloyd. He's their transfer back from South Carolina. He's gotten under 10 carries a, a, a game this year and then the last couple against Notre Dame and then last week against Utah. He got seven and eight carries respectively, even though he was quite effective early. And what ended up happening, if you go back and you watch the film, is that you see quite a lot of throws that Caleb Williams made the throw in, in the throw decision in the RPO game rather than handing it off, and it was the wrong decision. That's the one thing that I would, I would knock him. I believe that he's trying to put a cape on his back at all times and, and take them to the next level just because he's such a great player rather than at times just utilizing the system and doing what the di defense dictates that you do. Hey, um, if he, go ahead. I, I just want to jump in because our, our time is are limited and we're near the end. But I, you got me thinking, those five qualities you look for in a college quarterback? Yeah. How many of them does Russ possess? Well, that's a good, that's a good question. <clears throat> um, he's, I think he's probably really good in one area and and like decent in two others and below average in the other two. Okay. Tell you what, next week we'll get into that a little bit more specifically. Yeah. I want to I go down that line a little bit more specifically. Let's see if I can guess which ones he thinks he's really good at, below average in the other ones. We'll do that next week. Medium. That'll be fun. Okay. Remind uh, me. All those visits with uh, Jim Harbaugh, did you ever hear about him cheating? <laughs> Man, I've been hearing about cheating in college football for so long. Everyone's stealing signs, and... We just don't put audio in the helmet for whatever reason. I don't. I don't. I don't really know why. I actually. I know why. Do you know why we don't have uh, like helmet audio like the NFL and college football? It's because coaches steal signs, so none of them vote for the rule change because they're like, "Well, shoot, I don't want to take away sign stealing because I gain an advantage that way." That's the reason we don't have audio in the helmet. So now that they're trying to make an example out of Michigan, I find it quite hilarious. <laughs> All right, Joel, great stuff. Already looking forward to next week. Go right, uh, go, go rest your pretty head on that $390,000 bet of yours. <laughs> if it was only that much. <laughs> there he goes. Joel Clapp presented by Audi Flatiron.